Sanji, hi everybody. Welcome to the Topical City podcast. Uh, it's the night after the night after the night after the night after the night before, uh, where we didn't quite get where we wanted to be. I'm joined today by the usual suspects, uh, good old James. How do you, mate? And bad old Richard. It's the night after the night after the night after the night after the night before, and I still haven't caught up on my sleep yet, so <laughs> you'll have to bear with me. Well, we, we might as well, we'll get into it, but we might as well start with how are you guys doing since Saturday? How are you feeling for four or five days after the fact? I think the man from Porto's got to start that one off, hasn't he? <laughs> I'm well, doing can... brilliant. I've not, um, <laughs> the sun's shining, it's beautiful weather, the work's dried up so I can just sit, but sit on my balcony all day waiting for a phone call that's never going to come. So, yeah, I'm, I'm loving life at the minute. I wasn't negatively affected in any way, shape or form, by the bad result even now. like Maybe a little bit, actually, once I'd had a sleep and I got back to the UK and I thought about whether or not I should watch the highlights or not, um, and I haven't. <laughs> so, um, no, I'm very proud of the team for getting to where they got to considering the facts and the situation and how we've been knocked out every time previously so i really don't have like anything proper negative to say maybe when we go through the game a little bit i might start to lean that way because we played like shit but aside from that i'm i'm, I'm all good yeah i think i i echo a lot of that we've we've said ourselves haven't we that we're the age-old City fans that still expect to get relegated every year and to see us in a Champions League final is, is something really special. I'm not going to say I wasn't disappointed because I was absolutely floored by it, but I did get over it quite quickly. Um, so it's, it's just one of those, isn't it, that this happens to a team every year and they crack on and more often than not do well again. So we just need to pull our socks up and try again. Yeah, it happens to 31 teams every year, doesn't it? So we'll we'll, we'll get there. I was, I was the same as you. I was upset for about 10 minutes and then crack on with it, don't you? It's not, not like we're not going to get there again. We've done way better than we ever have. Proud of the lads. Well um, said, mate. We had a brilliant, brilliant season. Won two trophies again. And this is the closest that we've come to winning everything. Besides everything that we could compete for, obviously, we let that sweet community shields slipped through our fingers by not winning anything important last year but you know there's now well, we can win the quintuple next year knowing that we're in with a shout of that too all right, if we do it like liverpool we, we could win the community shield next year counting with these trophies <laughs> yeah exactly just put it in with a laundry list of the last five years why not <laughs> so we we might as well dive into it eh? um i want to start with that uh, we, we had an inside man in portugal uh, on the day itself uh, in a segment I'm calling Richard's Porto Reporto. <laughs> uh, oh, me and only me. <laughs> calling it that. Um, how was, uh, separate to football, uh, how was your time in Porto? It was fantastic. I can't possibly like gush enough about it. It was amazing to, just considering just to get abroad for the first time in like close to two years it's got to have been since I was last abroad. Obviously, I work in sports travel as well. Um, my company did the fan travel, the supporter travel for the Chelsea fans. So I largely had to recognise that I needed to be neutral throughout most of it. Deleted the city background off my phone, knowing that if I had to fill out any passenger locator forms for anything or anybody like that, that <laughs> they can't be seeing Blue Moon and the Etihad Stadium spring up as soon as I turn it on. But the the whole day was absolutely brilliant. All fans were up for it. There was no scuffles or um, fights that I'm aware of that I saw that went on in the city, at least for the days that I was there. And the locals were actually brilliant as well. Like everyone was just loving it. There were all the old folks on the balconies overlooking the carnage that was going on in the bars down below. 
like getting interviewed in the little fruit stalls. Um, these little old women, they've obviously been running it for their entire lives. And then there was just like city fan after city fan lined up against it, drinking, spilling booze all over the fruit. <laughs> but they were just fucking loving it. Everybody was brilliant. And the whole day was just fantastic. And I think that that's probably one of the reasons why when it got to the match, I had work to do and everything. So I didn't... Um, I didn't see the start of the game and I had to leave before the end of the game. And obviously I haven't seen a lot of highlights back or anything. So I, I can't speak too much about that. And maybe that's why it hasn't really impacted my opinion of the whole day, but everything was great. The, from the city, the architecture, the back streets, the hills, like the, the canal, everything, all the scenery. And then the fan zones, Chelsea had like a proper official fan zone up which was like cornered off, uh, beer huts, games, uh, DJ, like all of that shit. And then City just had a bunch of seats by the canal, (laughs) (laughs) like all the way on the other side of the city. They had none of that shit, but everybody was just fucking loving it, singing and chanting throughout the entire day. So we we gravitate to what we know, don't we? We we just head for the canal whenever we go. A hundred percent. It's just a shame there was no more bikes to like throw into the canal or anything like that. That really made us feel like home. But uh, yeah, I think it was a good representation of where both fans' mindsets were at with it. Like we were there to enjoy the occasion, and Chelsea were there to like market it as a thing. Fair enough. (laughs) Strong words. Uh, I was jealous that you were in the city, but after the was not jealous that you were in the game for, for any length of time. Um, right. We might as well talk about it. The big, the big, 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 big issue. James, how did you feel when you saw that lineup? I think as every City fan felt, or the vast majority, that I still can't believe he did it. I'd, I'd love for him to come out and explain exactly why he did what he did. And maybe he has done, but I chose to avoid all media afterwards well, he, he gave a, a pithy little there's going to be tight spaces and we need someone who's good in tight spaces right that's apparently why he started Raheem who hasn't controlled a ball well in about six months and <laughs> so also, I didn't also even... just because just you need one thing doesn't mean you don't need another we still needed industry in the midfield and we still needed a leader in there and I don't like you say I don't feel Sterling on recent form has offered enough of what Pep is saying there to warrant not putting a Fernandinho in there. But I was, I was, when I saw the lineup, I was shocked. I thought I'd read it wrong. Uh, I think everyone else pretty much called it as is, you know, even down to Zinchenko started. Um, but I do, I do wonder what Fernandinho thought, you know. Fernandinho's not the kind of guy to complain, is he? Um, not saying he complained, that... but I just wonder what crossed his mind. I agree with everything that James had to say. I think you're spot on there, mate. I'd just take a little bit, step a little bit back from the team wasn't drastically different from what it usually is. It was one player and Gundogan was moved back into the defensive midfield role. Like, um, so it wasn't... A no, huge... I, think, I think there was a drastic change on that yeah. left side because playing Sterling moves Foden from where he's been playing absolutely on fire puts him in a role he's not played in some time, puts Gundogan back into a role he's not played in some time, into a role that he's not excelled in maybe since Cancelo started playing and helping him in the, the double pivot. And that was another thing that I thought was, if you are going to play Sterling and move Gundogan back, maybe as much as we all wanted Zinchenko to play, the best thing to do was play Cancelo to yeah. assist in the midfield. I take the Gundogan thing, but Foden's played false nine. That's not true. Foden's played false nine very recently this season. He knows the position well enough. He's he... interchanged there with other people. And there was a there was a domino effect of. I'm not going to argue with that. There was definitely a domino effect of. There was one change which then was a catalyst to a number of other changes, which created more problems than it solved. So that's where you're right. But anybody out there who's using the word overthought. Like, oh, it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. that's not true. He didn't overthink anything. If anything, he underthought it. He underthought it by just thinking, I'll make this one change and that will provide us the the p- person that we need to get through the tight spaces, but didn't think about the everything else. He just got it wrong. There was no overthinking. Like, I was 
working with a Barcelona fan over there and we were talking over a drink uh, before going to the ground about how Pep was going to <laughs> like really, really fuck it up like any of the ways that he could do. And in none of our scenarios that we came up with or worst case scenarios or even like little case scenarios, best case scenarios was Sterling factored into that at all. I just didn't think he would start. So that was a shock, but he, it wasn't overthought and there was so much more he could have done to, to fuck that up. I just, the, the majority of the thing is, and we'll get to it when we talk about the game, is that the players weren't good enough on the day. The players let the atmosphere get to them, the fans get to them, the occasion get to them, and that was the biggest problem that we had rather than any tactical decision. Do you think that, that statement could very well be true? And we won't know the answer to this, but the flip side to that could be the selection that did have that domino effect did impact on the players. Therefore, that's why they didn't perform well. So it could be either or, and we'll never know. I think, I think, I think regardless of what, what you may say about people having played in that position, Foden has played false nine, but nowhere near as much as he's played left wing, um, in, at least in the Champions League. And I think... We're such a well-oiled machine, but we, we we do have players that can interchange and move around and play different positions. But when we play at our best and we're such a well-oiled machine, to, and, and even I bet you anything, those players were expecting to play the way that they've played for a good three or four days before the Champions League, and then they they were told we're playing a different way now. And I think, I think that that must come into it somewhere. I think it boils down to you play your best players in their best positions, and obviously coinciding with form. And I think the difference is this time round, or let's say in the Champions League final, because I know we've done it before, but when I say this time round, in terms of a big game, it's one of the first times where I've gone, if all our players keep playing as they've been playing, I'm really confident that we'll win. It's not a case of us trying to mould to the opposition or to try and stop some of their attacking threats. You know, with PSG, it was how do we control Mbappe? on Neymar, with uh, Dortmund, it was how do we control Haaland. In this situation, I really felt that if we just go out there, I said it on the last podcast, I think, we go out there and we control the narrative in terms of we, we play as we always have done this season, or the latter half of the season at least, and we, we play our best plays in our best, in best positions, then it's Chelsea's problem to solve. And actually, we didn't do that. We, we moved... Gundo and Foden into positions that they aren't playing their best at, and then Sterling in who's outperformed. Well, we've also said that the squad is incredibly versatile and capable of reacting to a tactical change at like the drop of a hat. And I just don't think it was Pep got it wrong, absolutely, and it was that domino effect. But I think that the the majority of the reason was that the players just couldn't act it. They were overawed by the occasion. Like, let's face it, Gundogan has played there before. Uh, Foden has played there before. Sterling has played there before. They weren't good enough individually. It was it was another one of those. Remember the Everton away game where it felt like if we're going to break this team down here, it's going to take a moment of individual brilliance from a player. Mm-hmm. And none of the players had it in them on that day for, for that moment of individual brilliance. Not De Bruyne, not Mares, not Foden, not Sterling, none of them. They just didn't, none of them rose to the occasion. And I think that was a little bit disappointing watching it in the ground. I think it's a mix of both. I think it's, I, I don't think you can, it's exactly 50 50 if the players didn't put in a shift and the tactics were wrong. Because you, you say it might not have affected it as much, but as soon as Fernandinho came on, we looked so much better. We were attacking, we were putting balls into the box. Literally the second he came on the pitch, we looked a million times better. So you know, I think I, that I, was the time timing as well. Like we needed a goal and it was towards the end of the game. And of course we were going to start doing that. It could be, but we needed a goal for 90 minutes. Like uh, I know it's I know it's better, I know it's more urgent towards the end of a game, but it's a 90 minute game. I don't think it comes into it that there's 20 minutes to go and now we're just gonna start attacking. It just feels like Fernandinho in there just showed a bit of confidence to go forward up, maybe, because he's got to be there to clean up the counter. That's maybe what it was. Um, luckily, we did have uh, Werner playing at his best 
<laughs> Sorry, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Um, we, we'll talk about the first half, even though nobody wants to. Even though it nobody was, was there or remembers it. <laughs> but I, I watched it, <laughs> the limit of it. Um, their goal just summed it up, did it? Just, just how much space Havertz found in midfield was, was exactly the reason why we all thought, why isn't Fernandinho playing? Um, it didn't help, for, I thought, that John Stones really... If you're going to talk about people who got overawed by the occasion, John Stones made three mistakes in the first 16, mm-hmm. 17 minutes. And he just looked pulled out of position, chasing whoever was on the other side of Havertz. He just... He didn't look great. Not to say he's not had a brilliant season and you can't be proud of him for the rest of the season. It was not his best game. Uh, and and I, I do think he was indicative of, of a lot of nerves uh, in the team. Um, but, 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 yeah, what do you guys think? I think that's easy. I, I agree with the Stones thing because I've, I've not watched it back so I'm not into torture myself, believe it or not. Um but I seem to recall Stones coming across to cover the left-back spot a few times, as in, like, getting dragged across the pitch and, and like you say, making some mistakes. And that, yeah, fair enough, that, that, that highlights Stones. But actually, I bet if we were to look back, you could see three or four trigger points before that where someone didn't track a man or someone was out of position, and that's why Stones had to go across. Really, Stone should only be moving into those positions if someone else hasn't done their job properly. Do you know what I mean? That's something else that I did note. It was um, there were a few times where Raheem was walking, especially yeah. when the ball. Like there were so many times we were shouting, "Raheem, get on your man, cut the passing line." Mm-hmm. That's something, and he just wasn't doing it. Um, which is what we used to always shout at Riyad Mahrez for. But even I don't think he was doing it. Very much. He looked like a wallflower. And do you know, my overriding feeling from that first half was, and I said it at the time to my dad, that it felt like they had more players on the pitch. Especially because of Angola. Oh, yeah, he counts as three straight away. I I don't think I've seen an individual individual game by an opposition player. I don't don't think I've seen as good a game as Mm -hmm. Kante had, because Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ. Look, they were just they were better set up tactically. Like the reason why Stones was was out of position was because he was dragged out of position, and that was the plan. Like that's how they got the goal. Is it? It was Diaz who was dragged out of position, tracking Werner, playing Havertz offside, and then look, Mount plays a fantastic ball that he probably it was it was brilliant, and then there's the deflection off Edison, which just put it right into Havertz's path. They they won the they won one nil and that goal was a pretty good goal. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think that we should be pulling apart everybody for especially the defense, because we, we did keep them quiet besides from that. We managed to keep keep them out um besides from the goal that went in. And I don't really want to be scapegoating like individual players for, for making mistakes. The entire team just wasn't as up for it as Chelsea. It seemed like I said we said I said they were overawed by the occasion. I don't think anybody's out there saying this, but part of it has got to be playing in front of fans again. Playing in front of that many fans on that occasion, I think that they just, you know, it, it cowed them. Uh, to, to give a positive, it did feel like City were in the chance with scoring the first goal. There were a couple of opportunities where we were running at the Chelsea back line. And it felt like if there was going to be like that kind of deflection that Habits got off Edison or anything like that, that we could be in with a chance of scoring. So, you know, it wasn't completely one-sided for the whole of the thing. I didn't get that feeling. I, at least to the second half, I didn't feel like we were going to get anywhere near scoring. Yeah, I didn't either. Mm-hmm. It was a moment where Mares had a shot on goal that was deflected into the hands of Mendy that was quite unfortunate. That could have easily been deflected into the back of the net. There was a moment where Foden was tackled at the last minute in the area and where he could have like, put yeah, the ball into the back of the net. There's, 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 there's a Rudiger block on a Foden yeah. shot. Which is, and to be honest, I think the way I judge a real chance is if I'm getting up off my seat. Do you know, oh, fucking right, hell, right. like... And really, for me, there was that Foden one, and then maybe there's a Mares snapshot in the second half, maybe. But really, for for me to think that we had 
enough without going into XG and all that to think that we had a good chance of scoring. I'd, I would judge it on the base of how I would naturally react to me jumping out of my seat for any. For me, it didn't happen enough, but for what this City team is and what they do. I like yeah. the idea of um, Opta measuring stuff in expected seat raises. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I don't want to be misunderstood here. I'm not. I don't want to scapegoat anybody. Um, oh, likewise, likewise. Um, I, I just basically just bring it up players that I thought had a bad game, not enough to derail the game at all. Like it's not, it's not Stones' fault. They scored, like you say, it was it was a good goal. It's just talking about the half. <laughs> it's just yeah, case yeah. That's what I noticed. But I, I like I say, I think we're all agreed that. It just happened, and there's nothing you could really do about it, other than set the team up different. And then on another day, people turn up. Um, it happens to everybody, and you know we've won, you know, eight or nine cups in three years. We're going to lose a couple, aren't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Said it already about that individual moment of brilliance, but I kind of think as well, like if you've got a, a proper number nine, and I'm not talking about playing Sterling there or Gabriel Jesus there or maybe even Aguero there. But if you've got a number nine who we might sign this transfer window who can create something on their own, then I think that the chances would have gone a little bit different for City in that first and second half. So, you know, potentially something to correct and look forward to there as well. Yeah, we've got to shout out the fact that we've got this far playing a false nine, which must be pretty rare in the Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. The only team I can think of that do it, uh, and they haven't got that far in the Champions League, uh, Barcelona. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't want to hear the word Barcelona at the minute, but, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, well, we, how did you feel the se- in the second? Because like I say, I felt when we when we had Fernandinho on, when especially when I, to, to have a positive, I thought Gabriel Jesus, when he came on, was really lively and really yeah, involved. Um, and again, he just looked like he couldn't get the ball off him <laughs> once he'd got it. Um, so I, I felt a lot better when the Brazilian contingent got brought in in the second half, but it just it wasn't enough. Um, did, how did you feel in the 25 minutes you were there for the second half? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did have to go and work. I had to go and help out with the coaches that were going to collect the Chelsea fans after. So I knew that I had to leave at a certain time. But as soon as that uh, De Bruyne injury happened, I was like, right, I'm off. Like It just felt like this is the death nail in the city coffin. Like We're not going to be able to do anything here. It reminded me of a game years ago. Um, it might have been a Champions League game or a Premier League game, but it was an important game. And then Vincent Company got injured within like the first 15 minutes and taken off the pitch. And then City just like never recovered from it. And this just felt like a bookend of a different kind where it was in the second half. I think it was around like 65 minutes or something like that. And De Bruyne went down and I just thought like, it's look, it's not going to happen here. So I had to leave at that point. And that's when I kind of made my peace with the, the City weren't going to score. Having said that, I was still checking my phone at every available opportunity outside the ground. Whenever you heard like... <laughs> the fans like cheer or get up off the seat expected get up off the seats and but like checking to see if someone had scored but obviously to no avail yeah I, th- I think that De Bruyne moment was it, that was something that I kind of pointed as well that not that he had a great game but the way in which he went off was pretty heartbreaking but then after that it felt like there was such a hole in the whole in the team, like but especially the attacking side, it felt like we were really missing some firepower, or rather the supply for the firepower, so the, the bullets, if you will. Um and it for me it kind of felt like coming out of half time, that was the reset moment. And if something didn't happen in the first 10 minutes of half time, then that was it. So so at 55 yeah. minutes, I felt like it was done. The Bruno, like you say, was the nail in the coffin. And all of my hopes at that point were just pinned on a coming of age once again for Phil Foden and him pulling a worldie out the bag. And that's not fair for a 21-year-old lad to do in a Champions League final in a team of superstars. But if I if I could have put some serious money on absolutely fuck all happening at the point of the Brian going off, I would have done. Because it like you say, it 
watching City as much as we do and knowing the team and just sensing those those little changes, those little movements that you wouldn't notice with other teams, that it was done. There's no way it's, it's turning around at that point for me. I'm interested to see, did you guys think Rodriguez should have gone off? For the challenge. I haven't I haven't seen the challenge uh, back to be completely honest with you and, and I kind of missed it in the ground as well. Uh, Joe Cole and the BT crew were sat literally like right behind us and every available opportunity rather than watching the game all the Chelsea fans were just turning around chanting for Joe Cole. <laughs> I was well, like I- they actually almost give a shit more of a shit about <laughs> Joe Cole than winning the Champions League here. So I was watching something they were doing in the BT booth and when I looked around, I was like, ah, fuck. So uh, I, I haven't seen it enough to comment on. I was of the opinion that I think a red would have been really harsh. I think he, he definitely intended to get in De Bruyne's way. There was no way he was playing the ball. But I didn't see anything in it to me that would have equaled a red. Because I've seen people saying if Rudiger would have gone off, it would have been a totally different Watch game. Like, I, don't, I don't think he should have got off. Yeah, it's desperation from fans who just want, you know, like when you just, you're desperate for something and you want a catalyst for change to happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if, if they get a man sent off, then you think that that happens. I'll tell you what I have seen, the uh, referee pulling Rudiger up yeah. and simultaneously <laughs> giving him the yellow card at the same time. Honestly, that's such fucking well, like shit. Yeah, it's like I said, um, it's like he was uh, checking in for a concussion and going, uh, are you all right? Are you conscious? And he, he was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, what colour is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with you, mate, though. I don't think it was a red either. I think in terms of the action, it wasn't. I think if we were to punish on outcomes, then obviously to see what it did to Cap. Imprisonment. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're not Liverpool, are we? And we're not going to call, like, when Jordan Pickford got called to be banned for the length of Virgil van Dijk's injury. So, yeah. I mean, it, we just accept that this stuff happens in a game and this is it. you, you get on game. with it. Yeah. You should, we well, should I have think, been the better team on the day. If we wanted to get anything out of it, we should have been the better team and we should have done better. I think that's it. I think we're all in agreement that mm-hmm. we just were the, were the worst team and lost. That's all there is to it, basically. A lot of credit goes to Chelsea. If I could just say something very quickly, that no matter, we've got the best coach in the world and some of the best players in the world, but that doesn't buy you success. Like you still have, anything can happen in competitive sport on the day. Like a team can outplay you tactically or outplay you on the field. And that's just what happened. And we shouldn't be like turning on all of our players or on the manager or anything like that. We should just accept that, look, we can't be the best team on the field all the fucking time. Otherwise, we would have won the quadruple like seven times over by now. So just lick our wounds and go again next season. And luckily, we don't have that long to wait. I was going to say, I was going to say that we're all pep out, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you know, I I had a quick look at um, sort of the history of the Champions League recently to see what, where, what, how we fare in that respect. And fucking hell, you think we feel bad? I'd look at Juventus and like, since we've been born, they've got to six finals and only won it once. And when you look, when you look at stuff like that, you kind of go, all right, fair enough. We can't moan too much. Teams like Milan, who have won it a million times, haven't been in it for 10 years. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, like we, we got there. That's the, the point we broke. Like, Caldoun said in his interview yesterday, we got there. Mm-hmm. We broke yeah. that hood, we got there. Uh, and if you're listening to this and you pep out, you are very short-sighted. Um, and I think it's like, do you not feel sometimes, this is a, this is turning into a, a, a Richard S. Grant. Um, just with some some of maybe some of the younger fans, it might be a bit harsh to say. Like, where's the loyalty sometimes with with these with our managers and players that have given a lot and go through a bad period or even just one bad game in this instance? Like, if you look at Pep this season, he turned the ninth place November, ninth place in November around to win in the league comfortably. Like comfortably. He um, also did create the situation that led us to being a ninth-place team, though, just to put that into a bit of perspective. <laughs> but he turned it around. Like, no, absolutely, saying, 100%. In, yeah. in bad, 
Mr. I'll never doubt Pep again. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Is these, these managers, these players, uh, Sterling being a prime example, go through bad periods. Nobody goes through golden periods throughout their entire career. They go through bad periods. But I just think, where's the loyalty to a man who's took us to three Premier Leagues in four years, who's took us to so many Carabao Cups and FA Cup, Champions League final? I understand being upset with him on the day, but to be pep out is... The biggest problem there is is Twitter for me. Like, we'll be seeing all of this on Twitter and, and it, that's it's the forum that's trash. Like, it, it, it's created an environment where people give these negative, offensive, ridiculous opinions. And the more outlandish you are and tribalist, tribalistic you are with it, the more likes you get and the more attention you get and the more that that feeds your drive to do more of the same thing. So it'd be interesting to know, obviously, we'll be able to communicate with fans better once we can get back in pubs, once we can get back in the ground. And I think that we'll see the proper appreciation for everything that Pep's done this season again next. He's a beautiful ball man. Uh, anything else to say about the Champions League final? It's well done for getting there. We'll get there again. St. Petersburg 2022. But is it now. Istanbul not getting it back after having to move? I'm fairly sure it's supposed to be St. Petersburg, but you might be right, actually. Maybe they'll... Uh, they might have been... I think they've been thrown a bone for like 2024 or something. Okay, right. Fair enough. <laughs> Right, we're going to uh, cut it off there then. And when we come back, there's no debate because the Etihad's table is finished. And oh my God, who won? We're going to have a deep dive into it. We'll find out after this. <laughs> You're listening to the Topical City Podcast. Disagree with anything you've heard? Don't forget to let the Etihad's know at Topical City Pod on Twitter. Recording's in progress, by the way. <laughs> and we are back from the break now. The recording is in progress. Um, <laughs> are we going to leave that in? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're here for what everybody's been waiting for. Nobody wanted to worry about the Champions League final. What matters was that it was the last Etihad's table following that game. It's finished. The last ever Etihad's table. The end of an era. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a Super League era where it lasted four days. Um, A third of a season. (laughs) uh, We're going to do a bit of a deep dive into it. I've got some stats. um, Because I remember in the very first one of these, we've done 14 after the end of this one. After the very first, in the very first one of these, which called me the stats guy, and I've had no stats since then. So I've got loads today. Uh, about us because uh, such is my narcissism um, so we'll quickly go through the table um, in last place um, thanks to Sergio Aguero not bringing up his side of the bargain is me uh, I, I finished with minus 15 points in the end uh, coming above me uh, is uh, Arman James uh, with minus 10. Is there anything to say, James? Anything about but next season? I will also blame Aguero not coming through in that um, Newcastle game for my points, um, but I'll forgive him for everything else he's done. Okay. Uh, not present today, but finishing second after being in two podcasts uh, is Dan. Uh, anything to say, Dan? No. Uh, and then finishing top. Uh, I'm not even looking at the Zoom chat because I've got the table up by Ashubi smirking his face off. Uh, Is Richard with a pathetic, a gay one point. (laughs) I did not put my faith in Sergio Aguero, but I did put my faith in a PSG player getting a straight red card. And I think that uh, that was the catalyst for me just spurring ahead of the rest of you guys, I think. Well, have you got any... uh... Any, uh, you know, humble words, any any uh, good winner words for us? I want to thank uh, my parents for raising a winner. You know, they they saw something in me for a very, very young age. Um, and yeah, I mean, thank you to you guys as well for being as bad as you were that propelled me on to being even better. 
And I just want to show my appreciation to Dan as well for playing literally two podcasts and that leading to him coming in second place, which I think was he three points away from winning? Uh, three points away from tying. Right, points. right, yeah. But you know going what? off Dan's performance on, on previous podcasts, it was never going to happen. They were some mighty big words for a man that won by one point. Well, to I be fair, with he won one by three points. He won with one point. <laughs> right, so you had one point, even so. He had one point overall uh, in a table that's been going for 13 weeks. <laughs> Over 13 weeks. Well, something dawned on me that it was like interest-free credit that I could just put loads of bets on and I was on minus points anyway. So I thought, right at the end, I'll just put all these bets on and if they come in, then great. And if they don't, it's not like I'm losing anything. Yeah, we, we might have to curb that in. <laughs> <laughs> One bet at a time. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's let's do some stats. Uh, first one, the most important. Some would say more important than winning it. Um, there was only one ever present uh, member of the... <laughs> Uh, the Topical City podcast this year. Uh, that was, let me just get it up. Uh, that was me. Uh, I was the ever present. The constant. Um, the constant, as they say. Uh, Everyone else has just got a life. I can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> Dan- Daniel, I was the Daniel Faraday of the podcast. Yeah. Desmond was the constant in Lost. Yeah. Oh, damn. Well, there you go. At least it's not a Lost uh, podcast, so I can't lose points for that. Um, I've got some some interesting stats other than that. Um, there was only ever one point given on the podcast that wasn't debate-related. Do you know when that was? Could you ever think? Did someone get awarded a podcast point at yeah. some point? There was only um, one but- podcast point ever given. Even though at the start of the thing, we were saying when people made interesting points or anything like that, they'd be getting points. No, only one point ever got given out. So that's how petty we are, that, doesn't it? Exactly. I think I'm going to, since you're bringing it up, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it was to you, Cameron. It was to me, yeah. I, I, <laughs> um, for, I, I, I can't even fully remember what it was for. I, I, on, the, on the actual sheet, it said I was entrapped, and I can't remember how. Uh, but there you go. So we did the debate, and oh, I, I, do remember said, yeah. I said the Gail cliché which led to you saying the Gale cliche. And so <laughs> yeah. you got a minus point taken off you, but then insisted that you were entrapped. I had a, and in I had reality, what actually happened was you weren't, and you said the cliche as well, but because you uh, got a minus point for something else, we threw you a bone and just said like, oh, well, go on, have a point back. I will, I'll freely admit I had a tan, only because I'm going to bring up another tan in a minute. So before you go on to that, we need to rephrase those podcast points as pity points. I think they'll stay as entrapped, seeing as I have control of it. Um, contrary to that, um, I also got the most podcast penalties. Um, I got minus five. But I thought several were self-inflicted, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. An interesting little detail was three of them I, I forced upon myself. Uh, because I'm the only person who cares about entertainment, obviously, in this thing. Um, three of them are forced upon myself. Without doing that, I'd have been on minus one on the last day and second. And I wonder how much that would have changed the complexion of the last day. If you really cared about entertainment, we wouldn't be discussing the Etty Lads Yeah, I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Very uh, self-indulgent. I still would have put an eight-point bounce, so I would have ended up in the same place I was anyway, so whatever. Um, the best ever amount of points scored uh, on an Etihad's table update, because I can't say week, because they weren't always weekly. Um, Richard got five points uh, in the PSG away week, uh, PSG second leg week, rather, where you got a debate when you said he was going to score against Palace and you got the line-up for PSG. And then, interestingly, mm-hmm. the ne- next best one uh, was James in the same week uh, who got three. Other than that, we've only ever scored two or less. So what happened when James predicted the lineup correctly? I think he just predicted the lineup correctly. And that was I, it. I'll, I'll oh, no, no. I think somewhere. I think he predicted, yeah, I think he predicted the lineup, got something else, and then also got minus points. So it evened out. The best margin was five plus five. Uh, and that was you, Richard. Uh, worst was 100% me on the last day uh, with minus 11. 
because <laughs> both my wages didn't come up. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely going to have to do something about that in the in the next <laughs> season, where it's it's more of a controlled betting scenario. Like, yeah. we'll think of us as a as a government that comes in and regulates the betting industry next time. Exactly. Um, outside of that, if you don't include wages, uh, it was Dan on his debut <laughs> with, with <laughs> minus four. Um, he got a minus four for getting the Aston Villa light up wrong and also something else, but I can't remember. I think, right. Big props to Dan, by the way, for for his... That was his first and only team prediction, was it? I oh, think he had get another one. I think he did too. And uh, he, he got <laughs> he got seven wrong on the lineup. Well, which is where to, minus four of those came minus four points came no, in. No, no, no. To to rebut that, we, we got it wrong on Twitter. Oh, right, okay. He actually only and he got it wrong on Twitter. Um I went back and looked, he actually only got six wrong uh, against Aston Villa. Uh, he got uh, five right, so he only got minus three. Uh, the other minus was for something else. The worst lineup guesses um, belong to you and me, Richard. You got seven against Newcastle, and I got seven wrong against Everton again on the last week of the season. This was part of the season where we had nothing left to play for and anything could happen. So I don't think that that's as big an egregious mistake as when Dan predicted his wrong lineup, which oh, was was that for Aston Villa, and I think all of us combined didn't get as many minus points <laughs> for our lineups as Dan did. He just got it so wrong. And thank you, Dan, if you're listening, for lowering the bar for us to limbo under later on. Cheers, mate. Well, something I want to say to James. Um, it's very interesting. Obviously, he's he's never got more than six wrong. But at the same time, he's the worst at guessing the lineup. <laughs> if you count them, you've got the most lineup penalties overall, and you were quite far ahead until the last few weeks when it just went insane. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you've never got more wrong than we've got wrong. You've just got more wrong cumulatively. <laughs> I did get it completely right once, which was yeah. any of my previous errors. And let's yeah throw a bit of a credit James's way there because he was the first one of us on a podcast to predict the lineup correctly, which in my opinion should have gotten more points. But I mean the Etihad's table has now closed, so it would have helped. He was ten points behind anyway. <laughs> um, speaking of that, out of the people who've been on it most often, I was the only person who didn't get a lineup right because fucking Raheem Sterling. In the last game of the season, <laughs> not that that would have helped because you would have both had two, um, but uh, whatever. Um, Richard was the master debater of the podcast. Uh, James, not, he had 11 debate points in the end, James had nine, uh, I had six, Dan had a, a pity point at one time. Don't know if you remember, James. Leave the guy alone. <laughs> I'm not going to him, get at you. <laughs> Uh, we've also the other stats I collected uh, the longest reign at the top of the table uh, Richard was at top for 15 updates uh, 13 yeah. consecutive updates so pretty much when he went top nearly near about 6 weeks in he never went lower <laughs> I was going to say, when I was looking back through, I went I was top pretty much from the first day last table that was released and then I made that silly Derby Day bet where I said we were going to beat United 6-1. <laughs> and for every goal that I was out from that, I was going to get docked a point. And so, of course, I lost seven <laughs> points. And that pushed me down into second place for, I think, about three weeks. It was about three four podcasts. updates because I yeah, was top yeah. of the table for four updates. James has never been top of the table. Well, unfortunately. But it's a... To throw a bit more cred James's way there, you, you said I was the master debater, but I reckon that Jim, obviously, I think we benefited from being friends for like 20 odd years, Cam, and knowing each other pretty much inside and out. And James had to play against that. And then once, that, he, figu once he figured out what to do, <laughs> but once he figured out how to do the debate like accurately, I think his if you were to look at it, his winning streak from that point on was something like I don't think he ever lost two debates in a row on a podcast. No, you you're definitely right. I did that did dawn on me after a couple. And the thing that changed was 
I did a fuckload of research. I started, I started <laughs> taking it really seriously for a couple and then eased off once my points tally was somewhat respectable or at least not absolutely shocking. Um, and then I quickly, obviously we'll learn each other's traits. And I, I like, for example, all I had to say was about David James enjoyed playing tech and, and you know, easy points. Why do you like a fiddle? Why do you like a fiddle? <laughs> um, I, I, have to, I do have to give you props, James. And, and all I've learned is, because um, I don't do any research. <laughs> That's all. So maybe I should start doing it next season when the debates come back. Who knows? Maybe we won't do debates. Maybe we'll do something else. You know, I've got know. some ideas. Well, there we go. If there's any anything ever to be scared of, that's, that's <laughs> um, the final stat that I've got um, is Richard only ever hit one guile cliche uh, in his in his whole set of debates. Um, I don't know what it was. I didn't bother going back and looking, um, but you did. I assume it was the one where I got entrapped, um, whatever that was. Yes. Big Sam. It was probably Big Sam's uh, 100% England record was the only cliche as far as I could tell that you ever hit. Having Is that right, that, James? You were the host. Was was it Was it that? I can't remember. <laughs> it was. But there might have been more, but I couldn't find it. That was the only one I could find. Having said that, you were exempt for two episodes because uh, in my combined 11 debates for you two, you couldn't get a guy on cliche. Um, me and you, James, were equal on cliches hit. But again, you had two episodes where you actually couldn't hit any cliches. So I think that... Not our problem. Assuages me a little bit, but also um, embodies the fact that I have constantly shot myself in the foot. <laughs> since this started um, so next season there'll be none of that <laughs> it will be interesting to see what changes just like when City lost to Liverpool last year and they came back with a vengeance we'll see what happens exactly uh, so did you guys have anything you wanted to say about the table before we, we close the book on the 2020-2021 season I think it's forgettable and we should move on. Yeah, I think James is ready to close the door on that. I will just say one more thing. This, even despite the drastic gambling at the end of the day to try and put yourselves in the first place, I still lost the most prediction points. So that means that I played the biggest big boy bet since whole throughout the whole thing. And I think that that deserves a little bit of credit as well. He's got his fucking brown and he wants a pat on the back as well. <laughs> I think you I've put two bets on as opposed to our um, four or five. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's move on from the table. Yes. We're, uh, shall we have a quick transfer roundup? Yeah. There's lots going on, isn't there, supposedly? Um, hey, how much time have we got left on the on the pod? Do you want to do a... Do you want to say as if we go into a break there, Cam, and then okay. we'll just go back in as if, yeah, as if there's yeah. another one? Jump to right, well, that... That, I'll, I'll just do it and then well yeah. that's the end lads <laughs> do it do it do it well that's well, the that's end that's the end lads say well right you're not getting any fantastic presentation now uh, 20, it's a done and dusted table's over go to break we may be fans of the best team in the land and all the world but sometimes life isn't always great for everyone you can make life a little bit better for someone else by donating to your local food bank. Visit MCFC Food Bank on Twitter for more information and for their GoFundMe link. And we're back. And welcome back. <laughs> yeah, sorry, this is an absolute train wreck. I'm going to talk about transfers. James, talk about transfers, please. Well, I'm only like pilfering this information off twitter and other podcasts and journalists but there's been lots of rumors in quotation marks about our players being unhappy um i did listen to uh what was that cameron is your microphone so close to your stomach (laughs) (laughs) there's some boy racer going up oxford road sounded like godzilla was coming for you happens a lot yeah um yeah I listened to Sam Lee and David Mooney and they were they were chatting through some stuff. But the latest thing seems to be about Sterling and whether he's fully happy. Um, 
supposedly down to playing time. Same can be said for Cancelo, Jesus, Bernardo, surprisingly. Although I think that's a little bit more to do with the position that he plays in. I will say take all of this with a massive pinch of salt because it is just rumour. Um, but there are other things to factor in. So Mares was also mentioned, but I think Mares has got two years left on his deal. He's 30-year-old now. Sterling, I think, has got two years left and he's around the time where he should be negotiating his new contract, but he's also just got rid of his agent. So he's going to be doing it Kevin De Bruyne style and doing it himself. Um, so there seems to be a few rumblings in the camp with that. And if supposedly Rodley's, Rodri's not 100% happy with his playing time as well. But I think the thing to consider with all of this is you're not going to keep a squad of 25 players happy all of the time, especially when it comes to the crunch in the big games. So, you know, the fact that Rodri hasn't played in some of the big ones recently will probably irk him a little bit. The fact that Bernardo does get moved around a little bit to accommodate Kev will irk him a little bit. Sterling, not in the starting lineup recently, except for the Champions League final. You can see why they're all just, in theory, throwing their toys out the pram a little bit and, you know, go and get a bit of rest go away to the Euros, come back afresh, and it might be a very different story. Have you got a dumbest transfer story you've heard yet? Because I do. Um, I heard that we're going to offer Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus to Tottenham for Harry Kane. Yeah. <laughs> Plus money. Plus money. Why like, even yeah. would they want to do that? Even if, even if we were doing it, surely that's equivalent value. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, but I don't see Raheem Sterling wanting to go to Tottenham. No, any I could see Jesus plus money for for Harry Kane. That that would be like reasonable. With all of these transfer rumors, I wonder how much of this is just a couple of agents kicking up a bit of a fuss. Yeah, that you you've got to realistically look at it and go, where is where are the likes of Bernardo and Sterling and Rodri actually going to go? Because when you think about how much we bought those players for their market value has only gone up since like they've been absolutely fantastic for city especially Rodri this season who I'll get on to in a minute if he's happy with playing time then Jesus fucking Christ the other one was Laporte I've got to mention yeah Laporte Laporte absolutely makes sense because he's personally said on in, in a press conference before that he's unhappy with his playing time and that's completely understandable because he's been City's best defender for like, what was it, like a year and a half or two years in a row. So fair enough with him and if he wanted to move on. But again, where's the market for them to go? Barcelona are only signing, signing players on a free. Real Madrid don't have that much money and they could be fined for the European Super League. Same with Juventus. Inter Milan are fucks financially. There's PSG, but I mean, they're negotiating new contracts with Neymar and Mbappe and and how much more can you put that wage bill like to the front when you're not even winning the the league uh, um, title? So it's it's nonsense. Where are these players going to go? There isn't a market for them. For Raheem Sterling, it seems to make more sense. If he's doing the De Bruyne-like thing of ditching his agent, surely that would suggest that he's comfortable with his position and all he needs to do is negotiate a new contract rather than work his way out of the club, whether or not that includes a release clause or something like that for him to move on at the end of the day. I mean, I never saw Sterling as a player to stick around for as long as David Silva did or as long as Sergio Aguero did. So I don't mind him moving on at some point. And as long as City fans don't treat him the way that Liverpool fans treated him when they, when they left, I'd be absolutely happy with that. There's more than likely there's a couple of agents kicking up a bit of a fuss on the player's behalf, but nothing's going to come of it. When you look at what happened with Sane and how difficult it was for Bayern to get him and how easy they thought it was going to be, I just don't see a scenario where we let so many of our best players go when there isn't really the money there for them to be bought in the first place. Do you know what I mean? I don't think it was ever the case that all of them would go anyway. I think it's a case yeah. that- if, if there is truth to it, that maybe maybe two would go. And just as it's the old Fergie model, isn't it, that you're successful and then you, you shake the team up a little bit. And I think for us to be able to shake the team up, we need some space in the squad. So Aguero's gone, great. Not great, but there's space. 
then um, Garcia's gone. Great. Yeah, that's, what I me- that. that's what I meant to say. Uh-huh. <laughs> I meant to say Garcia. Um, but the, the, straight away, there's two squad places. Um, but I don't know if Garcia would have counted because of his age anyway. No, probably um, not. So really, so if you bring Kane in, there's Aguero's spot. There's talk of Grealish, but in reality, Grealish isn't going to come in unless someone leaves. And Grealish is mainly left wing, isn't he? And a bit central. So then in that position, you're looking at Foden, you're looking at Sterling. Foden's not going anywhere. So maybe the press are putting two and two together and getting five and going, oh, well, City are linked with Grealish. Therefore, it must mean Sterling's on his way out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I could probably get that. I'd, just personally speaking, from from a fan perspective, I wouldn't want to see Bernardo Silva leave the football club in any way, like no, at all. Either. Like he's a guy who we should be looking to keep on, like we did with Silva, like we did with Aguero, company, etc. He's a guy, and who I could, before I heard these transfer rumors, could have seen being at City for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like he can't be happy, unhappy with his playing time. Surely, if if he was unhappy with anything, it would probably be that he hasn't got a defined position within yeah. the team, and that he's kind of been pushed around wherever we needed fires putting out. I think that was the case, really. From if, if we believe what is true, um, I think that is really. I don't think there's anything to worry about with Bernardo. I think Laporte's a concern. Good. I think Jesus is potentially a concern because put yourself in his shoes and go, okay, Harry Kane comes in. Once again, he's number two and he's not going to beat Kane out for the amount we'd have to pay for him, the amount we'd be paying him, the England captain, Premier League, bloody top goal scorer eventually, winning the awards, all like the assistant of him this season. There's no way that Jesus is going to beat him to a spot. So then you're Jesus with a World Cup next year and he's not a kid anymore. What is he? Is he 23? Something like that. That he's yeah. He's got to be looking at, for me, for him to go to somewhere like Inter and be the main man. Like if, if they're looking at like moving Lukaku on or, or Lotto or Martinez, then you could, I could, I've always thought he'd fit really well there. Um, but you could understand why he'd want to go. And even if he did go or he was part of a, um, a, a deal with Kane, that still only leaves us with one striker. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We, we're we quite light up front, really. It's for a team that wants all of these positions with, like, two players for every position. Yeah, we need to replace Aguero, but then if we were to let Jesus go, then suddenly Harry Kane's not got that number two to swap roles with, do you know, because we, we won't want him playing every game, I guess. But then if you put Torres there... Liam the recent PL2 player of the year... Liam Delap. Absolutely. Well, I wouldn't object to that at all. I also wouldn't object to Cole Palmer getting called up and Doyle getting called up or any of these lads, you know, it being used intermittently a bit more, mm-hmm. um, getting a bit more time in the first team. I think that'd be fucking brilliant. I've always wanted City to become a bit more like Ajax eventually, where we've got such a brilliant academy that we don't need to be making these you know, 50 to 60 million euro signings every single season that we've got the talent to bring up anyway. So that's that'd the be direction, great. isn't it? That, that's the way they've been trying to go. Yeah. We, we want to be Barcelona, but good Barcelona from 15 years ago. But to do that, Pep's got Pep or the next manager have got to have the faith in these players. Like we, we know already that unfortunately Liam Tarp isn't going to be second choice striker next year, no matter how good he is. Or, you know, the fact that he's won player of the year for the PL2 this time round. A lot of other teams, they'd be fast-tracking him to the first team, but it's not going to happen. Do you know what? Let's move on from this, because I do actually have a transfer scoop that isn't off Twitter. ITK. Incorrect. Um, It's not about City, but uh, I know a man who knows a man who knows a man. Um, So I went for my, uh, my COVID jab yesterday. And I'm stood waiting to, to go into the building and chatting to the gentleman um, who was who was directing me. And we were chatting about football and uh, he's a United fan. And he said, oh, I expect to see uh, a surprise arrival at United this season, or this, this summer. So I was like, oh, okay, go on. Um, Is it Jesse Lingard coming back? <laughs> no, no. It was uh, Kieran Trippier 
And I was like, okay, wh- why'd you think that? And basically um, this gentleman uh, has a caravan in a local seaside destination. And the guy next to him is Kieran Trippier's brother, supposedly, and he's looking for houses in Wilmslow. So if that's not in the know, I don't know what is. Put your bets on now. <laughs> Kieran Trippier is going back to Manchester and he's joining Manchester United. They could have him. <laughs> I mean, I did, of all the positions that they need filling, I did think that right back was one of them, but fair, fair play to Kieran Trippier's brother. He likes to be in... Um, the company of several other right backs, Kieran Trippier, clearly. <laughs> yeah. That competition for places really drives him. Yeah. All right. Well, you heard it here first uh, from a second, fourth hand from a COVID <laughs> work site. Which COVID site was it? Was it? Uh, uh, I, I cannot least... disclose. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get this guy in a lot of trouble. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I was at, I had my COVID job on Saturday. Uh, and they left some paperwork out on the side that said H. Kane, and I had it in the Etihad Stadium, so it goes. <laughs> oh, be. dear. All right, have you had enough talking about transfers? That'll do for now. There'll be plenty more over the summer. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a whole we'll do pod something. on it. Yeah. Uh, well, that's it then. It's the end of the 2020-2021 airline season. Unfortunately... <laughs> The winner is Richard, and I'm sure that'll be lauded over us until the end of the 2021-2022 season. Uh, but then again, if he does it too much, maybe there won't be an end to a 2021-2022. <laughs> uh, it's been lovely doing pods with you for this season, fellas. Uh, long may it continue. And we'll yeah, see shall we do some, some specials? More? Yeah, we'll do we'll do some specials, and then we'll come back next season. Why not? I twisted my arm. Sunji bye everyone. Sunji bye. Sunji bye.